everyone. Welcome back to Shree Talks A Lot. This is episode 9. I think it's episode 8 or 9. I don't know, but it's episode 9 and second vodcast with my trusty webcam and my trusty Zoom recorder. My name is Shree and let's waste some time together. Last time I talked about like how I'm taking this uh, podcast forward, how I'm taking the show forward to be more precise because this is not live. I'm not doing anything live here. I, I said that I wanted to talk about movies here and personal development and habit building. I wanted to talk about habit building by the end of every episode because ever since lockdown, I've decided that, you know, I just want to change my life, reboot everything, and I just want to kind of take up some new skills, learn some new subjects on my own, no degree and stuff, just self-learning, like uh, vocational kind of a thing, like graphic design, drawing, computer science, all that. So I just, uh, I've kind of undertaken all of these things. So I have to maintain a certain level of discipline and have like new habits and stuff. So I want to document that every single time. And If you're not new here, you know that I'm also writing my very first novel, my debut novel, so I'm going to talk about my writing progress and stuff, but that's always going to be by like the second half of this. The first half is always going to be about movies and TV shows and trending topics and new drama and gossip and everything that's happening in this world. So without further ado, let's get into it. Today, I have written it down on my computer, I'm just looking at it. Today, I'm going to talk about... Um, a certain individual that always seems to piss off young Twitter a lot, especially the Marvel fans, maybe some DC fans, I don't know, but it seems to be like a point of contention every time that man opens his mouth, so we'll dis- we'll touch up on that. Also, I t- uh, since nothing very, like, a lot is happening, nothing very a lot is happening, so <laughs> I wanted to kind of touch up on this like TV show that some of you know about. It's called Supernatural, it's from the CW, It's I think it's either over or nearing its end. It's on season 15, if that's like even possible, so um, that I wanted to touch up on my, my personal thoughts on that show. So we're going to touch up on those. And finally, I'm going to talk about uh, something related to TV shows. But at the same time, I wanted to like put my own personal, like personal development into a TV show. Uh, we're going to keep that a surprise. We're not going to reveal everything so that you just leave and don't come back. So let's start with um, Supernatural. I think we can start with that. It's, uh, I, know, I, I don't want to say too much about this show, but I um, just wanted to kind of give like a personal opinion that I haven't seen from other people, but just a few, like mostly someone who has newly watched the show and then criticized it and kind of looked at it very objectively, not like a fan, uh, but mostly in like, um, like a YouTube critic or video essay kind of way. I saw a very famous YouTuber make a video on Supernatural. I can't remember. I think, I think his name was Alex Myers. I don't know, but I'm going to look at it and I'm going to put it on the screen so that I'm not making any mistake. He made a very, he made some very good points, but he watched like a few seasons of this show. Like I said, this show has 15 seasons. So where I'm coming from is a place of love and a place of smile disappointment, but honest, constructive criticism. I'm not here to hate on the show. I'm not here to shade the actors. I'm not here to shit on the writing. I'm not here to be 
a bitch about it. I'm just, I just want to be very, very objectively open about this. I come from like a place of love because I've been a fan of the show. I've not like recently binged it and and like now I'm just kind of like, oh, this show is so bad, this show sucks. It's, that's not where it is. I've seen the show ever since it kind of aired, like two years after it aired. So um, I come from a place of love. So I, I'm talking about this as a fan, but also as a fan, why I could not continue with like the final couple of seasons with the show. Now I can go back and like, you know, rewatch it. I can start from where I left off. But here's a few things that kind of stops me, even as a fan, to kind of go and watch some of the seasons. Here's why. Uh, I come from India. If you're not new, you know this. If you're new, I'm not from America. So in India, it was kind of like um, Supernatural was not uh, released immediately, but kind of like after a year or two, um, a few cable networks or maybe television networks brought the show to us and kind of made it kind of like a Netflix kind of, not, not a Netflix kind of thing, but kind of like a daily kind of a thing. So if people from the United States watched it season by season, like per week, they watched one episode, we got it like in like a bingeable session, like seasons one to seasons three, maybe, or two, we got an episode a day kind of like episode every night that's that was the kind of thing so it was very bingeable kind of a show and because the tv networks did that india kind of became the the show was able to capture a lot of indian fans a lot of indian fangirls you can say or fanboys too not just kind of saying but fan people (laughs) it sounds so lame saying that but yeah we wouldn't have been able to uh you know be a supernatural fan if uh, the indian networks didn't bring it to us because netflix and all that was not that big of a thing and netflix doesn't i don't think netflix streams this show i have to check but that's how we became fans and i really liked it i really really liked it my problems started with like after like season i would say seven uh, my problems really started from like this season because one of the biggest reasons where the show started to lose me is that i could i i was really upset that they did not go forward with the um, evil Sam arc. Now, here's the, here's why. We have had this problem within Supernatural where characters die, characters come back, characters are evil for like a few episodes for, for, the, for the beginning of one season and they become good because they, they find out that they still love their brother, they... they they rediscover their humanity again. All this stuff keeps happening in the show, which is like, whatever, who cares? But when this didn't start like right at the beginning, but right from like season three or four, you could sense that, you know, once Dean was resurrected from the dead, it's like that thing that, I don't know, I think Kingsman said it, or maybe Mark Kermode said it, that once you bring a character back to life, he's indestructible. (laughs) He's invincible. It's kind of like it, you know, you don't feel, it's basically saying that you don't feel their death and you don't feel the impact of their death as powerfully again. So when that happened, I was like, okay, you know, whatever, this is a supernatural show. It's in the title itself, duh. So why not? But they went with this angle where Sam the heart of the show, the 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 good guy, the one that the, the goody two shoes started going towards the dark side. It was kind of a whole Anakin Skywalker thing going on. 
then they actually really played with the whole thing with season six. They tried the soulless Sam angle. I really liked this change. I really liked it because for the first time after like the whole season five thing happened, they really kind of um, went all in with season five because apparently it was supposed to end in season five. In season six, I was like, can they top it off? But they really could because they actually built this tension for us that the good guy of this scenario is starting to become bad, not only becoming bad, but has somewhere lost his humanity. And the actor, Jared Padalecki, did a really good job as the villain, did a really good job as uh, this kind of soulless monster, you know, and uh, almost psychopathic in, in a sense. It was a really refreshing thing to see that because it also kind of gave you this idea that this actor, these actors, they're not one trick ponies. Uh, I think his name is Jared Padalecki. His, Jared Padalecki is not a one trick pony. And Jensen Ackles too has done negative roles in movies. I think it was in My Bloody Valentine. He played a, spoiler alert, uh, killer. Sorry about that. But it's an old movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> so he, he, did, he, did, he didn't do a bad job there. And Jared Padalecki did a good job there too. It was... Um, also, the show kind of finally gave you this like, okay, we went all in in season five. Now in season six, we're kind of changing the game. We're kind of uh, mixing things up a little bit. Now we're going to have a battle between good and evil at the same time they are brothers. So how is that going to happen? That was a good, that was, that would have really been very interesting if these two brothers were now against each other, which was really where they were going for, you know, because that would have caused so much drama because Dean would have had to go against every instinct of his being to stop this soulless monster who doesn't care about harming anyone, who doesn't care about causing death and killing. And like I said, the actor did a really good job. The writing was really good about that. And at the same time, fight his own brother in the process. The brother that he fought tooth and nail to save in the previous season couldn't. Now he has to be the one to kill this guy, quote unquote, kill a monster. That would, that's amazing. That would have been great. That would have been fantastic. And then they, what they, what did they do? They abandoned it right in like, I don't even know how many episodes. I will say within the first half of that season, they abandoned that. They did the same thing in season six end where they kind of put the other actor of the show, which was, um, I think his name is Misha Collins, Castiel. Castiel also had this like evil angle. I think they were like trying to bring it back with like the supporting cast, trying to make the supporting cast evil. So the good guys were made the good guys. So they did that, but that also didn't work because in season seven, they completely abandoned it. Now season seven, the the Castile in season seven was like an extra somewhere disappearing into the background. Like he didn't even matter anymore. He was just a shell of a human being after what happened. We understand that, but it was just like the impact wouldn't have been that much if Castiel was the villain because Castiel, like when it comes to the brothers, it's like the brothers against the rest of the world. They would have, it wouldn't have been as impactful for both the brothers to kill Castiel, even though Castiel is like their best friend, as it would have been if Dean had to kill Sam or Sam had to kill Dean. And, you know, that would have been more impactful. That would have been a better source of tension 
this is me, this is my, the writer in me talking about this. Um, also, Jared Padalecki has this kind of like creepy quality about him. I'm not saying the man, the actor is creepy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying his act. Whenever he does this kinds of roles, like I, I haven't seen too many of his works, but whenever he does something like this, even in, within Supernatural, there's almost this kind of like a like a creepy quality about him, like a psychopathic quality about him that hasn't been mined. The director hasn't mined that out of him yet. You know what I'm saying? A better, a good example would that be of that would be um, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler always makes these like good guy movies. Always is like the 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 friend the friend of the group, the dad of the group, the 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 playboy of the group. Always does. Go, goes in the end like even if he's stupid even if he is silly even if he's you know egotistical like in longest yard he still goes up and does the right thing at the end of the day so he's always like mr goody two-shoes the savdi brothers kind of realized that he has a very eerie creepy quality about him kind of like um i don't know what to say but he's almost like uh, I don't know, but he, they found out that this guy would be great at, at as like someone who like, who just, who would frustrate you, who would make you anxious. Something about him, there's like optimistic, but at the same time, if he, if you, if you met him in real life, you would be creeped out. So they did that and they, and Adam Sandler was fantastic in Uncut Gems. If you see that performance, you'll be like, that's not Adam Sandler, that's where the f*** that guy was. It was just so good. It was just so good. It was it was so un-Adam Sandler-like. It was just great to watch. I feel like the same thing is there with Jared Padalecki, but because of like season six and because of how like immediately they changed it, I just am like, Ugh. Because season six, season six Sam really um, gave me a different... They really gave uh, the actor a different role to play. But because they changed it, it's like, now I think Jared Padalecki is Walker. Because I've seen him as this Mr. Goody Two-Shoes throughout like 10, see, 10 years of a, a show, I'm kind of skeptical to go and walk into Walker. <laughs> Sorry. But I'm kind of like, I'm a little skeptical to go and watch this show because Walker is supposed to be this, this gritty character but i'm like i'm just afraid that i'm gonna find this like you know soppy brooding you know like a i don't, I don't know just this 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 character i mean i like i said i can forgive that you have the show had this like cyclical way of uh killing the brothers bringing back the brothers killing the brothers bringing back and like making one evil and the other one evil and then they bounce back to good but after a particular point, after like season 10, I kind of lost patience because like I said, if they become indestructible. And uh, I don't know who made this point. I think it was the film critic Mark Kermode or maybe someone else. I think it was Mark Kermode who made this brilliant point. Like, God forbid an American actor plays a bad guy, right? God forbid uh, uh, someone plays the evil guy, the main guy plays evil. Right? Because, like, the whole perspective changed. Like, that's the kind of um, mindset we feel. It's like, a, that's how we perceive it. It's not, I'm not saying that's what the Supernatural crew and the writers were going for. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to us, as an outsider, as a viewer, as a non-American, that's how it 
seems like that's how it seems like to Mark Kermode for her at least. And I kind of agree with him, you know, that he said that whenever they need to, they need someone to be a villain in a, in a Hollywood movie in like an American movie, they bring a, bring a British guy. It's always the British guy that has to be the villain. It's, it's so funny because you see it so many times. You see it with Jude Law in Captain Marvel. You see it with Benedict Cumberbatch in Star Trek Into Darkness. You see it with, um, Loki, Loki, um, in Avengers, Tom Hiddleston. It was so funny because it's really true. And you see it many times. And it's never more apparent than in Supernatural with, uh, Crowley, uh, Mark Shepard as Crowley and the other, redhead woman who was like Scottish or something. I can't remember. I, I wasn't even paying attention at that point. It's kind of zoned out. Um, just couldn't care anymore. It's like that. But I'm just saying, if they gave uh, Sam or even Dean, uh, although it seems like Dean is more uh, like the guy who would end up, you know, doing the right thing. I don't know why. It's just the, the way the show portrayed it. This is my fear. Like, I hope the actors don't suffer because of this, because of, uh, you know, 15 seasons of a show. I hope they don't get typecast because there's a real fear of people getting typecast after that long. I mean, that happened with, like, Friends and, like, all the Ross, Rachel, Joey. I can't see them as anybody else. I, can't, I can only see them as Ross and Joey. Now... With Jensen Ackles, I will see him as Dean for a very long time. So it's going to be hard for them to break out of that because the fangirls, fanboys, fan people would be, I'm just going to stop saying fan people. Uh, they're going to keep seeing them as Dean and Sam, which is a good thing. But if you are really like someone trying to break out of that role, it's going to be hard. So I hope they can. Um, what was my point? What was I trying to say? Anyways, I forgot my point. I'm going to have to go look back and see it. But that's the thing. Um, and... Supernatural also has a supporting cast problem. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on that. But before that, I just want to say this like tiny little gripe I have about the show. I don't know what happened after season eight, whether it's just me being like noticing something that isn't like that's isn't there, but also or if something really changed behind the scenes. But the cinematography really changed kind of in like a weird way, which is like an un supernatural way from like season eight um by that i mean the distinguishing factor of supernatural from the other cw shows is that supernatural had this like dark gritty almost like an indie film quality about it about about the whole show the, the cinematography was kind of like that it's always just something like it's like it's like you're like looking at a sewer. I'm not, I'm not saying the show looks like a sewer, but it's kind of like, it just gives you a feeling of grim dread, you know? It's kind of like watching the Raid Redemption, you know? Like the, the Raid Redemption cinematography, it's like seeing being in this like dirty old building with people trying to attack you from all sides. That was the kind of look that Supernatural had. From season eight, when Sam got this like family, like, I don't know what it was, like a weird family thing going on with he had a kid and a dog and something which was I was like fine at least they're doing some something different here at least they're trying something out and then they gave like them a bunker or something the whole cinematography changed from like this gritty dark thing to kind of like a it started having like a soap opera feeling to it I don't know whether it's the lighting or the editing or the pacing or the music or whatever it is it had this kind of like a like a soap opera feeling to it you know I thought it was just me, but I just I kept noticing it. Like, it looks different. It feels different. The pacing is just um, 
slow and more off here. I don't know what it was, but it was just something that just kind of threw me off from season eight. Uh, but anyways, that was not a big deal. But um, finally, what I wanted to say is Supernatural had this has this like um, this supporting cast problem. The show is carried by the brothers. The show is carried by Sam and Dean, which is fine. But for 10 seasons, it kind of gets a little boring. You know, like how much can they do? How much their shoulders are going to break by carrying the show for that long on their shoulders? So the supporting cast is good. This is my problem with Supernatural. The supporting cast is really good. The actors are doing a good job. The writing is good. Everything is good. But most of the time, they just exist for the brothers and then they just die. <laughs> That's what happens. They exist for the brothers. Whenever the brothers want them, they give them a call and then they are ready for service. And sometimes they have their own personal thing going on. Like uh, Castiel had a little thing going on about his previous life as the man who, you know, got possessed by Castile and he had a family and everything, but then he kind of gave it up because he was like a religious nut job or something. I can't remember. It's been that long. So uh, he had something, I guess Bobby had so I can't remember, but um, Crowley had a little bit of a thing, but not too much. But here's the thing. It's a very forgettable arc. So they exist for the brothers and then they just die. And then they are replaced by new people, which is like, fine, you're going to do the walking death thing, sure, but... <laughs> give give some people room to breathe and give um and ease up on the brothers and kind of give them like more people to work with and instead of just like the new filler people of the week that's it's just i don't know but my problem really ha like started because this was something that i kind of could never forget happened because it's just something that i was like man they missed a great opportunity here that's what i was feeling in season three or four, I can't remember when it was, there was a character named Henderson that just showed up into, into the world, into the realm of Supernatural. He was a cop who was kind of um, researching these two bandits that would commit credit card fraud and everything and would go for hop from like state to state, change their names, change their everything, you know. And who are they? They're definitely con artists or something. So he was looking at Sam and Dean. And that was a very good premise to a character like he had a legit reason to f these two dudes so that was a good reason for him to exist and then when he came and he commanded the episode his presence was just very dominating and really good so that means the actor was like whoever the actor was he was really good and he, he just commanded the presence and he was just a really good episode to watch because it was one of the most tense episodes i had ever seen and my problem was, if only they didn't blow him up the very episode, at the very end of the episode, they didn't even allow him room to breathe. This character, possibly, if they gave him more material and kept him for, like, at least a season or two, on and off, like they do with Castiel, if they kept him, or kept a character like him, you know, it would have been so much more entertaining instead of just like filler content of the week. So Henderson was one of like those rare characters that show up on the supernatural universe where that, that become very memorable. And you're like, why? Why? That, that character would have been one of the strongest supporting characters. Maybe would have been like the three, four main characters along with Castiel, Sam, Dean, and maybe him. I'm just, I'm saying too much, but that's what I'm saying. If, if I 
wrote a character like that, I wouldn't have like killed them off, you know? Like they did it with Daryl in Walking Dead. Daryl was supposed to like die or something. And then they kept it because the actor was really good and the character was very interesting, well-written. So they they kind of character a little bit longer and look at what happened so yeah when they killed off Henderson I was like I just kind of it just turned me off immediately <laughs> so it's just like whatever man I'm done with the show um not right at Henderson but that was like the beginning but after season seven eight nine I think it was like season 10 when they introduced Demon Dean after Dean died like the 700th time I was like is there a point because we watch shows for tension. We watch shows for drama, romance, for death, for love, for friendships, for all of these like elements. But if their friends are replaceable, they keep dying. If their death is, you know, impossible because they can resurrect themselves. If there's no drama because one or the other guy finds his humanity and you know never fights with the brother it just accepts each other loves their family family whatever all that in the end if there's no romance because they will always leave their romantic partners behind for the brother and for the hunting life what's left what's left to watch so um the show is ending now and I guess, or it's ended and now they've moved on to do different things I really hope they do the best I hope Whoever wrote the show from the beginning to like season six, seven, the writers, they are, you know, they do better things. I hope Eric Kripke continues to, you know, do The Boys, which is a fantastic show. And uh, I hope, uh, you know, every people watch this show because it's good. But I won't say watch it till season 15 because if you don't have the time to don't binge for so long. I mean, come on, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so... That's all I'm going to say. I really, like I said, I'm saying this from a place of love, not from a place of hate. I don't, I'm, the reason why it took me so long to make this video is because just there's, there is a certain fraction of the fan base of the show. Not everyone. The majority of the fans are casual fans. They come and talk and they just kind of share their opinions and stuff. But there's like this um, tiny fraction, like I would say 10% of like this rabid fans that just would that would like really harass you. They would like cyber bully you if you say anything mean about this show. There's like critical thinking has gone out the window. Civil discourse does not exist. Op your opinion cannot matter. How dare you criticize their favorite show? You're stupid for even put putting you know you're even for putting one point out that goes against the norm. It's like. People really don't like those kinds of fans. And those fans are one of the reasons why it's like, you know, nobody, want, nobody wants to like talk about the show anymore. It's, you know, whatever. But it's like, this is one of the reasons why I waited till the end of the show to kind of give my thoughts on it, whatever. But anyways, uh, on to the next topic. All right, on to the next topic. At the beginning of this episode, I said that there's a particular old man who seems to keep pissing off a certain fan base. It keeps seems to uh, successfully piss off all of Twitter sometimes. It's really bizarre and also quite um, fascinating because, well, I don't think anybody has that power, but I'm talking, obviously, about Martin Scorsese. If you don't know who Martin Scorsese is... 
Well, I think you really should and just Google him and find all of his movies and give it all a watch because there is no other director like him right now and we don't have a lot of time left with him because he is uh, getting to a certain age. I don't think he'll be able to make a lot of movies after like a few years, so... We should really cherish the time that we have with him. And anytime he says something, I feel like we are just looking at it from the wrong, in a wrong way. Not like we're, we're not, we're not assessing it correctly. We're not kind of, um, thinking about it in the right way or wrong way. That's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that we are looking at it from the wrong perspective. Anyways, going back to it, Martin Scorsese is a famous director and he's made fantastic movies. Goodfellas is probably my most favorite. I have yet to finish Irishman. I've finished half of it. The movie is very long, so it took me a bit of time to um, kind of continue on. So I'm thinking that by tonight or tomorrow, I'm going to finish the whole movie. But uh, I'm looking at my computer screen. He managed to piss off Twitter again recently. I would say February 17 was when Twitter kind of had Martin Scorsese trending on its search page. So I'm like, what happened? I'm like, whoops. Well, history repeats again. So uh, if you if you didn't know, Martin Scorsese said something about uh, Marvel movies being like equivalent to the equivalent to theme parks and how it's almost like a spectacle and people go there to enjoy the spectacle and like it's like a theme park but it's not exactly like cinema where you have to sit and you have to think about it and it's all that so people got heated about it as if you know people can't give their opinions about movies anymore it always has to be my way or the highway but whatever and then this time he talked about how most films are now like considered content he used the word he said that he has a problem with the word content i'm looking at the uh, an article from the rap the rap.com they said that the title of the article is Martin Scorsese is sick of calling movies content and film buffs are rooting him on. Well, film buffs are rooting him on, but Twitter was a completely different scenario <laughs> about like two days, about a day ago. Today's February 18th. So I just felt like I could maybe have some fun with it, maybe read the article with you guys and also give my own thoughts to it. Uh, I would say that I agree and disagree with some of the comments he made. I, I do have some of my disagreements with some of the things he said. I'm not saying I completely am rooting him on and kind of agreeing with every word he's saying about content in general and saturation and all that. But before I get into it, I just want to get this very clear. Why is it? Why is it that every time this man opens his mouth, like young Twitter, especially like Marvel fans, maybe some DC fans, but I don't know, Marvel fans just really get their heads in a knot, really get their panties in a twist. Why is it that every time this particular fan base gets pissed off, every time this man opens his mouth? What is it? It's just people can have opinions about movies. Now, I don't consider myself a Marvel fangirl simply because I've never read the comics, okay? But I love the movies. I really enjoy the movies. I won't say I'm particularly uh, equal about all the movies. I didn't enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I didn't enjoy Ant-Man and the Wasp. 
I was not particularly, you know, um, ecstatic about Captain Marvel. I'm not, I won't say I'm a complete fan through and through, and I haven't read the comics, so I can't consider myself a complete, like, Marvel, the, the Marvel comic book company or whatever universe, <laughs> if it's a different faction from the movies, the cinematic universe. I, I haven't explored that region, so I can't consider myself a complete fan. But I am a fan of the movies. But even then... People are allowed their opinions. People are allowed to have a difference of opinion about movies. That's what critics are for. And not only that, this is what is really hilarious. He's not calling these movies bad or awful or anything. He's saying that the the experience of the movies are different. So when before when he pissed off young Twitter, he pissed off Marvel fans, when he said that uh, these movies are like theme parks, That was a moment when I actually kind of agreed because even though I don't say that they're not cinema, they are cinema, we're looking at, we're watching them at a cinema where we were, we are the theater when we watch them, but we're not having um, an experience like we would have with another movie like Hereditary or Parasite and something like that. That's a different kind of experience. When I go to a Marvel movie, I'm there for the spectacle. I'm there for the 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 explosions, the special effects, the VFX. Where I'm there for a ride. I'm there for a good time. I'm not there for like really difficult questions about life and existentialism and <laughs> depression and all that. I'm there for heroes fighting villains and uh, superheroes fighting monsters. It is what it is. You can't really deny that. And it has a kind of like that element to it. You know, it has a kind of like a very spectacly element to it where I'm looking at this like giant show in the octagon, except it's the whole city being destroyed by a monster versus one superhero with a hammer. (laughs) Where? (sighs) Anyways, but he is from a different era. So I'm like, okay, I, I understand where he's coming from. And I, I tend to agree. He's not saying Marvel movies are bad. He's saying it's a different feeling to watch a Marvel movie. He's not saying ban or boycott Marvel movies and watch my movies. That's not what he was saying. So I was, I was really kind of, uh, you know, it's just really bizarre to see that reaction. But this time, I have an agreement, and somewhere I have my own thoughts. I won't call it exactly disagreement, but I'm. I would say I'm. I would say he's not looking at it from like the bigger picture. So I would say it's a, it's a somewhat disagreement with Martin Scorsese. So um, I'm going to start with. I'm looking at my points. Uh, I've just written a few. I'm looking at the article. Let's just go with the article first. I'm just going to read the article a little bit. So it says that Martin Scorsese riled up a lot of Marvel fans with his comments that the MCU is not cinema, but the Oscar-winning filmmaker is now turning his ire to a much larger trend in Hollywood, the labeling of films as content. Like I said, he had a problem with the word. In a new essay for Harper's Magazine reflecting on the career of Federico Fellini, Scorsese lamented how the new era of streaming has made the dreaded C-word far too common in discussion of movies, particularly within the film industry. Yeah, I agree. People call movies, TV shows, YouTube videos, all of it content now. People just use the word content like it's like a f- advertising or something. Uh, as recently as 15 years ago, the term content was heard only when people were discussing the cinema on a serious level, and it was contrasted with and measured against form, he wrote. Then gradually, it was used more and more by the people who took over media companies, most of whom knew nothing about the history of the art form or even cared enough to think that they should. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's um, 
there are a lot of like there's a lot of corporatism happening within movies nowadays within the film like the industry the studios and digital marketing companies all of that someone who is looking at the art form as a biz from a business perspective is not going to understand the creative process that goes into movies movies mostly is about risk taking because you're putting you're writing certain scenes you're you're kind of taking a chance with a certain story and elements and plot twists and sometimes killing off the main character and stuff because it's not it's not marvel you know in marvel you can't kill your hero unless you're about to end the franchise because you know you know that at the next movie he's going to be there you know iron man is going to be there unless there's there are no more iron man movies to milk so you can you yeah it, it cinema is very different they don't they don't care about the main character if the main character has to die to make an impact that's going to happen but that's not the most important thing uh the corporatism sometimes hampers uh the film the film experience the the the, the making experience of a film the directing ex- aspect of a film but at the same time i would say yeah i agree like um companies and people with like corporate jargon people who think about things commercially almost of the time even though they have good intentions they want everybody to make money from the movie they want the they want the producers and the executive producers everyone to make money and also be able to sell the movie yeah someone who looks at it from a commercial perspective or is only ex- experienced in the marketing area like you know um like a media company you know like an ad agency they won't know what makes a good cinema unless they have actually studied the craft of film or are a fan of film like martin scorsese is i am a fan of film but even i would say it would take me a long time to really narrow down the 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 elements that makes a good film i would say i have a particular idea about it but i would I would definitely say it takes a long time to kind of accept that and a media company uh, someone who has an MBA degree is not going to be able to uh, say that particularly like what makes good film. Anyways, let's continue with the article. To him the term content is now a business term for all moving images whether it is the Irishman or any of the millions of TV shows, features, short films or documentaries that are listed alongside Scorsese's latest films on Netflix. In his words, content could refer to a David Lean movie, a cat video, a Super Bowl commercial, a superhero sequel, a series episode. Yeah, I I yeah, I can see that. Many people say call everything content. It's like the Gary Vee lingo, right? Content, content, make content. Make, what what is content? I feel like with the advent of uh television moving on to the digital platforms and YouTube kind of taking center stage, I think there are going to be different words for it. Um different categories of content, I get to say they would say sub content. Like film would be film content and cat videos would be animal videos content or whatever, you know, home video content. People would have different words for it, but yeah, it's um it's kind of a mixed bag. I do you don't know what people are referring to when they say make some content. Like what what do you want me to do? Have a full production team or film my cat? What what are you implying? So yeah, I kind of agree with that. While Scorsese acknowledges that the rise of streamers like Netflix and Apple TV Plus have allowed him and other filmmakers new opportunities to make movies, he is concerned that by piling millions of programs and films into a streaming service and then just relying on a computer algorithm to present a select amount of that content to a viewer, films from one of the greatest directors ever could easily get lost in the shuffle 
Yeah. Some of the greatest directors could ever could easily get lost in the show. Oh, sorry. Becoming devalued as a generation becomes less exposed to those classics because of the overwhelming selection on offer. A few exceptions he points to are curated streaming services like Mubi and Criterion Channel, as they present films to users on a hand-picked menu rather than having a computer to do the work. I guess that's the struggle for all of us. You know, for all of the YouTubers as well who are making good content, who are making like terrible content, we all get piled together and we have to compete with everyone. And um, if we are making content from a niche, like I, I'm making content from a movie niche, um, I'm going to have to compete with everybody that makes movie content, movie niche content or whatever. So yeah, it's, it is oversaturation and yeah, your the competition is very high, I would agree. So it's nothing different for films as well. We can't depend on the movie business, such as it is, to take care of cinema. In the movie business, which is now the mass visual entertainment business, the emphasis is always on the word business, and value is always determined by the amount of money to be made from any given property, he warned. We touched upon that. In that sense, everything from Sunrise to La Strada to 2001 is now pretty much wrung dry and ready for the art film swim lane on a streaming platform. We have to make it crystal clear to the current legal owners of these films that they amount to much, much more than mere property to be exploited and then locked away. They are among the greatest treasures of our culture and they must be treated accordingly. I mean, I'm going to touch up on that, the whole thing. Yeah, everything... I would say, I would say quick aside. Yeah, I, I agree with it. And um, uh, I'm just letting all the things that I agree with out of the way so I can tell you what I disagree with. But yeah, in this sense, you kind of feel it nowadays. You kind of feel this sense of like absence of greatness. And by that, I mean, when you think about movies like The Shining or 2001 or um, Citizen Kane, or like uh, recently you would say Alien and stuff like that, 80s and 70s and 80s. Those movies are kept in like a different kind of a place. But now, um, if, if, if a great movie has come out, we don't exactly get to know it unless it's from word of mouth or like an award platform has given it some kind of a platform, like Parasite God. Parasite, like famous movie critics on YouTube, didn't review this film until it got the Oscar. So it's like Jeremy Johns didn't make a review about Parasite or Train to Busan or stuff like that until, you know, it became very, very popular through word of mouth or from the Oscars. So yeah, it, it does get devalued a little bit. It does get lost in the, the noise. So uh, the, the rest of the article talks about how like some people were defending him. Other people said that, you know, uh, this point was really great, uh, that some argue that streaming has helped make the films of directors like Fellini and Kurosawa more accessible than they have ever been. This is very true. Y you could get lost in the noise, you could, but the streaming platforms, all of these have kind of given most of the, these filmmakers kind of like the, the center stage sometimes, and most of the time it would have been hard to find their movies. It would have been Scorsese's movies or... Tarantino's movies on the forefront, but now Federico Fellini and Kurosawa are also on the forefront because you can find them easily. You can easily access them. So in summary, I kind of agree that um, the yeah the, the the need for content and the need for like the algorithm to keep pushing content has driven like bad content forward sometimes. When it comes to like smaller content, when it comes to YouTube and stuff, yeah, you do see when you look at the trending page. 
Is it like, do you really want to watch anything that's on the trending page? Is it even appealing to you? It's mostly like, like bright thumbnails with like lots of weird things and like, and the title is like, you know, destructing some, destroying something or playing something or giving something away or some kind of like a family vlog and stuff like, I don't know what is on the trending page anymore. I don't even look at it, but that's kind of like what the algorithm is pushing on the trending page. So it's not even appealing to someone like me. And it kind of gives me the idea that it's more appealing to a, like a younger generation because someone young would get attracted to like a bright thumbnail with lots of colors and like a really kind of like a PG-13 kind of content. So you get the vibe there on YouTube. When it comes to movies and stuff too, yeah, but you have to, the algorithm does push a lot of crappy movies forward with like, even with YouTube originals, even with Netflix, you do see that happening. I agree with that. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the good movies can get buried somewhere down the drain. Given that I agree with some of the points, here is where I disagree. Because of the content, the word, the new era of these media companies like Netflix and Mubi and Amazon Prime and YouTube originals in some cases, and even like a lot of other short film platforms, uh, YouTube being the biggest one, Vimeo also, and because of this push for content by these new algorithms, a lot of these filmmakers, a lot of these content creators wouldn't have had the chance to even put their foot in the door or even have a little bit of their time in the limelight, they would have had no way of making a film or getting the film funded or even showcasing their talent if it wasn't for new media. If it wasn't for these new forms of content, if it wasn't for this new age of cinema, of the digital platforms pushing forth this new kind of content, nobody would have been able to shine in this new era if it wasn't for these uh, platforms. So we do have to also see the benefit, which is a major, major benefit, because if it wasn't for them, it would have just been people like Scorsese or Tarantino or Lynch or anybody else who has gone to Hollywood, been to Hollywood, talked, been in the office of like the, you know, this big, the, this big, <laughs> this big studios who would have been in those big studios talking to them about the movies, like the funding and stuff, and who would have been able to work with uh, the famous actors and stuff. They, it would have been just those people who would have excelled at this, who would have had the chance to make movies. Anybody who could not travel to Hollywood and talk to the people, talk to the right people, make the right connections, they would have never been able to pass their screenplay off or make their first movie or even get the short film. I'm not even gonna jump to YouTube yet. I'm gonna talk about the films. Like you have great examples like David Sandberg. David Sandberg started making content on YouTube uh, with pushing his uh, short films like Lights Out and I can't remember all the other films he made. He made uh, I have to look at his channel, but he made a, a, a buttload of uh, short films until James Wan saw one of his shorts and gave him a chance to work in Hollywood, made Lights Out as a full-length feature, and he went on to direct Shazam. You think someone from a different country would be able to go to Hollywood and work in a DC film? It, is that going to be possible for us, you and me, 
if we were from the 80s? I don't think so. I don't think if when Scorsese meets Taxi Driver, people like you, people like me would have never dreamed of doing this. You know, like David Sandberg would not have had a chance in hell to make movies. And it's because of the algorithm pushing his movie, uh, his short film Lights Out, to all the people until it reached James Wan. Until it reached James Wan through his homepage or through word of mouth. That's how it happened. It's because of the power of the algorithm. So yes, there is going to be a lot of competition, but it's also going to be a way where like, this. Is the, for, take this for example. This is a show that I've created on my own. I have no producer. There is no crew anywhere. This is just me talking to my little webcam. If I had this show on television, I would have gotten canceled within two episodes. I would have never gotten a chance to showcase what I have to say, to have a discussion, to build an audience, to have a community, to have just to just have some fun. I would have never had the chance if it were for like if I had to go through the channels of radio or television or something. This would not have been possible. It would have been canceled a long time ago. So many content creators and so many YouTubers, so many uh, filmmakers have now gotten the chance to at least showcase their talent uh, within the sphere that the downside, which Martin Scorsese talks about, the content, it's like, yeah, it, it gets buried. The, the content gets buried within um, the, the, the whole, I would say, the, the, the pile, the, 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 the impossibly large pile of films and short films and videos that are being made on the internet digitally and on streaming platforms like the movie platforms. Of course, it's getting buried. But... This is also the, like, we also have to see that good movies, new movies, good television shows, good content creators, good YouTubers, good short filmmakers are also being highlighted. We do see them get viral views. We do see them have a million views hit their short film. We do see YouTubers with like 5 million subscribers in 11 months because they did something right. And you see that in their video. They're not just making bad content, like bad let's plays with no one speaking and nothing happening and they're getting 5 million. That's not happening. You do see their content having high quality. It's one of the reasons why they keep getting, you know, subscriber after subscriber because every new person that comes and they're like, wow, you're making good content. Someone would be like, wow, you're making great short films. I want to subscribe to this. So you do see that happening, quality over quantity. So that kind of a push, you when you when I see something like that, when you see someone who has made it to the top, even within this impossibly large pile of content, it kind of gives filmmakers and content creators a push to do better, to beat the algorithm, to beat the algorithm in a way where you can rise above with good quality and consistency. It kind of gives people a sort of competitive push to do better. Whereas in the old days, you could have just been, been in the right place, met the right people, said the right things, and you could have had your movie made, you know, or just something like that. I don't know how it worked back in the day, but yeah, you could have, you would have had to be in, in Los Angeles to be in Hollywood or in India right now. I would have had to be in uh, Mumbai 
to work in Bollywood, something like that. So now I don't have to go to Bollywood to do it. I can just make an independent film wherever I am and I have a crew and I have a platform to showcase it. It's brilliant. So what I'm trying to say is that although I agree with Martin Scorsese, this new era, it's good and bad in, in that it's a double-edged sword. It is a double-edged sword because many filmmakers, many um, many short filmmakers, many new people would have never had the chance to showcase their talent, to be talked talked about by like other filmmakers. They would have never had their names known if it weren't for the digital media. However, yes, it is a problem where um, something that's like a great film, like a brilliant film, if like it's this modern Citizen Kane could just be unknown, unseen, or even if it's seen, it's just... Um, it's not seen for its greatness. People would not be able to recognize its greatness immediately until it's like taken some time to, through word of mouth. It be, it's become a cult hit or sometimes Oscars or like the BAFTAs give it the recognition it deserves and it goes, you know, it goes viral like Parasite did and everybody watched Parasite after that. That kind of happens, but it is it is a compromise now where competition is high. And yes, the word content is used very loosely nowadays for everything I do agree with it. But at the same time, it has given all of us an opportunity to shine. How bright is going to be up to the person? Because yes, there is going to be a, an algorithm that's deciding your fate, but you can really, instead of fighting the algorithm or complaining about the algorithm, you can give the algorithm a chance to help you. You can, if you can't beat them, join them. So you can give the algorithm a chance to help you by making the kind of content that's, that's, um, I'm using the word content. I'm sorry, Martin, but it is what it is. You can, let's say for content creators first and filmmakers second. For, for content creators, you can make the kind of content that is, that's watched by people, that's trending right now. That's like, you know, that's something that's just, that's just the, the the thing nowadays. Before it was pranks, now it's like, you know, I don't know. Um, I would say helpful content, uh, talking head videos, commentary, whatever it is. Now that's trending. Uh, then maybe in the future, it's going to be something else. You never know. Uh, shorts are trending now because of TikTok. You do have YouTube shorts and everything like that. And then when it comes to filmmakers, uh, you have to look at what exactly do people want. Do people want short, short films? Or do people want long form content where you can make a longer uh, short film? It's not as long as feature, but it could be something smaller. What else, What can you do? And how can you increase your quality while at the same time not completely disappearing entirely? You know, you, you have to be consistent and, you know, work consistently to be better and to make more content and to, to, to kind of, put that out there uh, and how can you because at the end of the day connections and being at the right place at the right time meeting the right people that's always going to work but you're going to need money for that you're going to need scripts for that you're going to need uh, a plan for that what can you do to be there to go to Hollywood to do whatever you want what what are the steps you can take and the internet is the best place for that you can really start planning ahead and make more money and start doing commercial work whatever it is and um 
nothing, none of this would have been possible for us if it wasn't for digital platforms and if it wasn't for the algorithms. So I do agree with uh, Martin Scorsese on some of the things, but what I'm trying to say at the end of the day, he is he is from a different place and time now. So he's not looking at the bigger picture of what's benefiting us and what's kind of, to him, what looks like the devaluation of cinema. Although it may seem like it, it is what it is. I agree. But at the same time, it kind of gives people the push to do better and be better. And also it's kind of giving all of us a chance to have our own TV series and make sure, because the end of the day, the only people that rise are the people that make consistently good quality content. So that those are the people that rise. It's the same with filmmakers. So it kind of gives everybody a, com- uh, a, a an oversaturated market that kind of looks overwhelming. So it kind of is easy to give up on. But at the same time, people who are competitive, people who are like, you know, crazy, uh, would... It, it would give them this push. It would give them a competitive motivation to do better because they will see examples of people rising above and succeeding. In today's world, you see movies like Hereditary or The Lighthouse and stuff like that. Um, while at the same time, I do kind of agree that, you know, Marvel and everything is taken over, especially as an Indian, because I don't know about like Hollywood. Uh, I, I don't know about American movie theaters and stuff, but in India... Uh, Hollywood movies are competing with Bollywood movies. So when it comes to like something that's independent, our house, a movie, it's going to compete with not only with like the upcoming Marvel movie or the DC movie, but also with a very popular, much awaited for Bollywood movie. So because of that, on one screen, you have a commercial Bollywood movie. And on the other side, you have a high budget Avengers movie. The art house movie, like Hereditary, doesn't get a chance to play in a theater. So people like me from like a small town in India, we don't get the chance to really experience cinema in a big theater most of the time. Most of the time those movies get booted off. Maybe they'll be there for like three days and then, you know, get replaced by the newest Bollywood spicy flick. So I do do agree that, yeah, it is... um, those movies don't get the chance anymore. I didn't get to experience Hereditary. Can you imagine experiencing Hereditary on screen, on like the big screen? I would have shit myself. I have no doubt I would have shit myself. I would have really liked to watch that movie on the big screen, especially like Lighthouse and stuff like that. Those movies, they do get a chance, but it's like you don't even know when it came in the theater. But it's really hard. It's really hard for them to exist in like our theaters if there's like the next Bollywood movie coming up and the next Marvel movie coming up. So yeah, it is is a double-edged sword and the competition is high, but... um, I like to look at things, uh, I like to look at the positive in things and the positive in me, uh, the positive me is saying that I wouldn't have been able to talk to you right now if it wasn't for the algorithm and if it wasn't for content and the media companies. So I do like it, but there is no way that I'm going to say that Martin Scorsese is wrong because, well, there's a lot to learn from the man and we should cherish him for however long he is with us and however long he is with cinema because, well, his movies are exceptionally badass. I'm going to end this episode today. At this point, I said that I was going to talk about the third thing, about something that I kept as a surprise, but I'm kind of tired a little bit. I think it's uh, 
it's almost midnight now and uh man i'm just <laughs> i'm i'm pooped so i'm gonna go and wrap this up and i'm gonna i'm gonna be here next week again and then i'm gonna talk about that thing so i'm really glad that you were here and give thank you for giving me a chance and being till the end of the episode uh this will be uploaded as an excerpt on my shree nation channel but if you want to watch the full episode of this you can listen to it on shree talks a lot on my channel on my youtube channel shree talks a lot and on any other podcast platform like spotify radio public google podcast except for apple i think <laughs> but you can listen to it on spotify or watch it on my other youtube channel shree talks a lot so thank you so much for watching and i hope i didn't waste your time don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to give it a like and share and let me know if you need if you want me to talk about any other topic leave it in the comments well See you next week.